Hey folks, it's John from A is for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with my mother. One of the things that, you know, I as an alcoholic often forget about when we talk about, when I talk about recovery and finding myself and rediscovering myself and recovering myself, a lot of times I don't think about all of the pain and suffering that I have caused other people in my life. And we do that a lot. We forget about the other people. And my mother, who is not an alcoholic, married one and grew up with one and gave birth to one. And it was really great to sit down and talk with her and get her insight about alcoholism as somebody who spent a majority of her life around alcoholics not being one herself. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy conversation with my mother. You are not somebody, as I understand it, and I guess you would not call yourself an alcoholic. Correct. Yeah. Um, but you would be somebody who might say that alcohol has adversely affected your life in one way or another? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is that putting it lightly? I could say that, yes. <laughs> Um, so, so, I mean, I'm wondering, like, I usually, when, when I, when I talk to people, Mm -hmm. I usually say like, well, so when did it start for you? You know, people who, who do have a problem with alcohol. So I guess I would ask like, did you, did you grow up? (laughs) Who was the first drunk I remember? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, who's the first drunk you remember? That's a good way to put it. Yes. Who's the first drunk you remember? My grandmother. My okay. Mo- my mother's mother. Okay. Nana. And her, Nana. Nana. Your Nana. My Nana. I didn't know this woman. No, you did not. She died when I was 14. Okay. Um, she was very much an alcoholic. I didn't know, you know, I didn't have the understanding or vocabulary of that at the time. I look back and now and I know when she... Would, there were, I remember one instance specifically where she, I was probably eight or nine or something like that, and she sent me to the store on my bicycle with a note to pick up a bottle of Jim Beam and some Chesterfields. Oh, she's a whiskey gal. <laughs> yeah. Like just always whiskey, or was there ever anything else? I only ever remember the Jim Beam. Hmm. Okay. Um. So you went and you did what Nana said, mm-hmm. but you were never interested in having a nip of the Jim Beam or no, smoking a No, it's to me. <laughs> no. It's a, it smelled nasty. I don't want anybody to want to drink it. <laughs> um, and you, did you live with her? Were you raised by her? Um, I wouldn't say raised by her, but there were many segments of my childhood where we lived with her at some place or time due to um, when my stepdad was in the Navy. He There were several times when he was deployed out to sea and he would be gone for months at a time. Mm-hmm. And I know we stayed with her several times then. When my mother was divorced from my dad, we stayed with her because my mother had to go back to work. Um, and then when my mother divorced my stepdad, okay. we went back to live with her. And so um, there were just intermittent times. So she was always a very much a... A, a presence in my life even when she wasn't around she was a very strong personality and she was always you know kind of the the fallback i guess angry 
Was she angry? I mean, you talk about being a strong personality. What, I mean... She was very, um, she was funny and creative, and I know she loved us dearly, but she was also very strict about certain things, and um, she, if you didn't, you know, there were times when she lashed out physically, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it, you know, severe abuse or anything, but we would get spankings for things like, um, she would send you another little snapshot memory is she sent me into the bathroom to get a hairbrush and I couldn't find it. And she said, if I go in there and find it after you said you couldn't find it, I'm, I'll give you a spanking with it. And of course she went in and found it and I got a spanking with a hairbrush and, um, there's one time I remember she, I don't remember what she, what it was for or, you know, probably maybe five or six or something like that. And I, she, I remember her spanking me with a yardstick because I remember very vividly thinking, this really hurts and I'm crying. And I thought, what if I just stop crying? I wonder if she'll stop if I just stop crying. And I just made myself stop crying. Did she stop? No. No. <laughs> Um, so she was, I think she was angry. I look back on it now as an adult, and I think she was very angry at her situation. She had, when she was first married to her first husband, my mother's father, she was living in the city of San Francisco, was very cosmopolitan, and then she ended up marrying, um, getting divorced and marrying the second guy, and they moved out to a ranch in the middle of uh, Tuolumne County, and I think she felt very cut off from that lifestyle because she's out in the middle of nowhere and so I think she was angry about a lot of things but this sounds a little bit like a a theme in the women in your family mm -hmm. um, but I'll ask you about that too yeah so she died when you were 14 mm -hmm. I'm alcohol related or was it something I, else? I have every yet yeah. well she had a stroke <clears throat> okay but she was also a very heavy smoker and um, I'm sure she did not exercise or take care of her diet in any way. You know, people just didn't do that in the, when she was, she was born in 1908 or something. And I don't think that was on people's radar screens then, you know, she was also, she was very short. She was probably like, I look back again, these are all kind of looking back now because she seemed huge to me towering, but she was only 4'11". Wow. Yes. That's nothing. That's nothing. And um, so, so because she was, short she was also overweight and she smoked and she drank and so uh and then she had the stroke and so i'm sure it was all interrelated because you know those health problems kind of go along with each yeah, other they weren't into the uh power plant burgers in the early no, 20th century no. <laughs> <laughs> and if you were called chesterfields are unfiltered <laughs> so, oh, so there was that who needs a filter in the mm -hmm. way of you and mm -hmm. flavor country that's, that's marvel right. but um so, but then your mother, whom mm. my grandmother, yes, I have memories of her mm -hmm. and issues with her, her issues with alcohol. Mm -hmm. Did you, did you notice that growing up oh, with yes. her? I mean, so yes. she was an alcoholic as well. Yes. Although I don't, she was not an angry alcoholic. I think she was more of a depressed alcoholic. Okay. And a lot of her depression was situational that I'm sure she was trying to, um, she had, you know, bad marriages and a lot of, you know, unpleasant things going on. She had 
at various times. And, you, you know, she had five kids total, so there was a lot of, she had a lot of responsibility and I think felt she had no power or agency over anything going on in her life, but she had all these things that she had to take care of. And she just, I think, felt stuck. And I think that was a lot of just in that time for women mm-hmm. too, right? We're talking, what, the 40s, um, 50s, and 60s? 60s? Yeah. I mean, there was no, women had very little agency. and That's correct. In fact, she when she divorced my dad, I was four. And um, that's when one of the times we went back to live with my grandmother and my step-grandfather, who I think was also an alcoholic. But um, so we went back to live with them. And um, I think she was only divorced for a year before um, she remarried. And she remarried, I think, the sense I get is that she remarried because... um, you know, those children need a father. You need to have a father for those children. So, um... It wasn't a loving marriage, necessarily. I don't think so. I think it was a marriage of, you know, he was acceptable. He was in the Navy. Um, he was single, and she needed somebody to take care of her. That's what the... And maybe she, that's what she thought, too. This was a way of... And I think also this was a way for her to get out from under her mother's thumb. Mm. Living with her, because she was living with her mother and stepdad. <clears throat> okay. And um, the drinking with her, she, I mean, what kind of, well, like, what kind of drunk was she? What kind oh. of alcoholic, you know? What were her habits, behaviors, patterns that um, you recall? I mostly remember in the beginning, gin. She likes, she liked a martini. Mm-hmm. She liked a lot of martinis. But it would go in cycles. It wasn't like it was all the time or it was, you know, every night or, you know, two times a week or anything. It was, it would be every once in a while she would just drink and she would get and my mother was a very sort of reserved sort of stoic kind of person but she would drink until she would kind of get silly and giddy and you know just goofy and um it was in in fact it was almost kind of fun to see her that way because she was just never she was never demonstrative she was never really physically affectionate or you know it was basically there was so much just to make sure there was food on the table. People had clean clothes. People got to school on time. And she I'm sure she was dealing with her interpersonal issues with uh, her, my stepdad as well. So I think she would just, but, and I don't remember her drinking when he was around much. Like so he, he would be, he would be shipped off. So it was convenient. Mm-hmm. The relationship was convenient or his job was convenient yep. because she would have weeks on end where she could kind of, drink when she wanted, drink mm-hmm. as much as she wanted. Yeah. And then, and I'm, I'm projecting yeah. here, but I imagine you could say, oh, well, um, so he's going to be back on the 15th, so I will drink until the 15th and maybe have a nice little bender, yeah. and then I can shut it down and control it or or abstain while he's yeah. here for this for leave and then go back to it. Well, he left. was, um, he, he was, I wouldn't say he was an alcoholic, but he was a social drinker and they, there were some, because he was an officer in the Navy, there were social functions they went to and I'm sure she, you know, she drank mm-hmm. at those, but not ever to excess that I noticed, you know, but I could tell that she was, look, again, looking back on it, I could recognize some of these behaviors. Mm-hmm. And it never occurred to you or, I mean, you, you it just never you didn't have that thing inside of you that said, I need to drink? No, again, 
Ew, this stuff stinks. Why would I drink this? Because frequently, they not frequently, but I would say there were several times when they might have, um, you know, other people over for for drinks and cocktails and, you know, like a little cocktail party kind of a situation. And um, we would help clean up after, like, the, the, you know, the, they didn't, I don't, you know, we'd help cl- clean up after and you'd dump this stuff out. And you, you, as a kid, I would just think, oh, why are people drinking this? It just That's... smells nasty. My stepdad was a beer drinker. He enjoyed beer. But again, I never really saw him. He was very, he was very quiet when he, you know, so he was, he was very reserved. Mm-hmm. Um, except when he was <laughs> trying to molest us girls. But, um, and that never, that never, for me anyway, I don't know so much about my sister, but that never went really very far. I think he was... Um, you know, the, and, but, but I mean, but to say that, I'm sorry, I don't oh, mean no, to interrupt, but Ask I mean, even a little far is too far. Well, yeah, true, <laughs> true. All I can, all I'm saying is that I certainly did not have it as bad as people I've talked to that were actually raped or assaulted or that kind of thing. Okay. But I did spend, I feel, um, mentally, uh, I, I spent a lot of time in my childhood trying to make sure I was never in the same room with him, alone, anywhere. I mean, I can't made these conscious choices and decisions to make sure I was never um, anywhere where there wouldn't be somebody else there. I got hurt in um, gym class in seventh grade mm-hmm. and um, did some kind of tumbling maneuver and hurt my back. And so they, they of course, called home and had somebody come pick, pick me up. And... Um, I thought it was going to be my mom, and for whatever reason, she didn't come. He, my stepdad came, and he said, do you want me to take you to the hospital? And first of all, as an adult, I look back on that, and I say, you don't ask a kid, do you want me to take you to the hospital? If you're laying on the gym mat and you can't get up, you say, we're going to the hospital. Or you tell the school, why didn't you call the ambulance? And I said, no, I don't want to go to the hospital, because I was afraid that... Um, he would insist on being in the exam room with me and they were going to want to take my clothes off to look, you know, to do some kind of x-ray or something and that he would be in there with me. And I said, no, I'll be fine. Just take me home. And did, did that, um, what was <laughs> I mean, that? that was just sort of an, uh, one of those little snapshot things I yeah. remember. And how was your, was your back? Were you severely hurt or was I was hurt. I could not get up off the gym mat for, okay. I had to lay there for a while till I finally kind of could get myself, you know, ease myself up I probably had help to get it get in the car but no that can't be uh, that can't be a stress that's good to live with as a kid <laughs> no to... I, I don't think so but I think you know I trauma and abuse and things like this and we at a very young age often I know that I would begin to organize and facilitate things to kind of control situations when I had very little control to begin mm-hmm. with. So you say things like being in the room with the right people and knowing, following my alcoholic father's patterns mm-hmm. so that I could, I could steer clear of them and mm-hmm. I would, you learn to in, intuit yep. the patterns so yep. that you can be ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, in some ways, it's easy with an alcoholic because they're very 
predictable. Yes. They're often confused and slow. Mm-hmm. They can also be, you know, enraged. And, and when you're a kid, you're pretty powerless. But yeah. it's just, I that sounds very familiar mm-hmm. doing those things. So this was in, like you said, junior high school and um, high school? Th- or? Yeah, that was, gym class was junior high. Um, and... And your biological father, was he a drinker that you know Um, I don't know if he was or not. He was, after I reconnected with him as an adult, I never saw him drink. So Mm -hmm. I don't know that he was a drinker. He was a raging, crazy son of a bitch, but he was not a drinker. So he had his other mental issues, but... Well, not not all, I, I would say not all... Alcoholics are necessarily crazy people, and not all crazy people have to be alcoholics yeah. either. <laughs> okay, well. Um, but, so, your mother was, she had a lot of controlled drinking, yes. you would say. It yes. was very much regimented. It was controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember, uh, and I can't speak for my brother, yep. but I remember being in that house with you and her on Burl Street or Burl Avenue. Yep. And her saying, somebody drank my wine. And I know it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Because I was having the the one guy, I was having my manager at Blockbuster Video buy us whiskey. So, I mean, <laughs> I had another, I had a different yeah. source. I didn't need your wine. I didn't need your wine. And so I just remember thinking like, and I don't know if you brought it up or maybe we had some conversation about like, no, I think she just drank it and forgot that she drank it. But so she, when you, when she moved in with you later on in life, mm-hmm. but you know, before she passed yeah. in those years, there was still, she was a wine drinker then. I think pro- maybe tapered I, off or, well, I think the wine, I don't know if she, I think she drank it because it was cheaper than gin. Gin's expensive. Mm-hmm. And then you have to make a production out of, uh, you know, mixing the drink and da da da. Wine, you can just pour in a little, you know, tumbler and you're good to go. Take it back to your room. That's and... right. And um, later in life, when she, she she lived with me the last year of her life, and she was quite ill, and she'd had cancer, and it had recurred. But um, she would um, always have to have her glasses. She would have to have at least a couple, two or three glasses of wine every night. And, um, and it was always the big jug red wine. And um, she, she would say things like, I don't need any of those fancy wines, she says, because I don't have any taste buds anyway, so it doesn't really matter. So it says to me, well, the only reason you're drinking the wine then, it's not like you're, you're pairing with the uh, you know, filet mignon or the salmon or whatever. Right. It's, it's just drinking to get buzzed. Right. And um, so she would have her two or three glasses of wine every night. And when I was living with her, and I was buying either buying groceries for her or with her, um, she was always hyper aware of how much wine she had left, and that we had to put, that there, we needed to go get wine. She was very conscientious. You know, it's like I might remember, oh hey, I'm low on toilet paper, or I need coffee, or something like. But she knew how much wine she had. Now it's time to go get more wine. And it, she would also make comments like, "I'm not an alcoholic because if I was an alcoholic, I would have known by now." <laughs> you know, I mean. <laughs> I, to each his own, but it's, yeah, I mean, I, I looking back, see that as, and they're so, they're varied, the mm-hmm. alcoholic behaviors, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, human beings are varied. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of it, I don't want to chalk it all up to alcohol because, 
it's a very human thing to want to feel good, to want to feel relief, to want to find some little bit of joy. And if we feel like we can find it in a bottle or a can, then and it's perfect and we just need to make sure that we're hyper aware of how much we have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was that way too. Like, we got to make sure we have enough. Well, mm-hmm. well the, you know, the liquor stores close on Sunday in Oregon. So if it's Saturday and it's 6 o'clock, we need to go hit the liquor store and make sure we get enough to get us through a 24-hour period where mm-hmm. we won't have any. You know, it's just... So I, and I just remember her with that, like, very controlled drinking. Yeah. Like, I don't remember her stumbling around or... And you knew you said in younger, younger days that she... What, once she would get while, what we used to call tipsy. Yes. She would get tipsy. <laughs> so you leave that house at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and like after high school? Yes. I I was watching the clock. Am I 18 yet? Am I 18 yet? Can I leave now? Is it time to go? And I left. Um, I turned 18, graduated from high school, and then left. Um, I think it was in that August I left mm-hmm. after high school. Um. And where did that take you? Hawaii. I was theoretically going to go to the... I was enrolled in the University of Hawaii. And and so you were enrolled, but you never went to class? Well, I made the mistake of scheduling a 7.30 a.m. class. And so um, when you don't make the 7.30 class, you think, well, I've blown the whole day. So instead of doing something sensible like dropping that class or rescheduling, getting a different time, I ended up not going. And so my first semester, I flunked out. My second semester, I dropped out before I had the chance to flunk out. Mm -hmm. So that's as far as I got. And I I was working, of course, full time. And so um, waiting tables. Mm -hmm. Worked in pineapple cannery. How's that? It's not good for your skin. No, I, I was very. I'm glad I got to do it. It's it's a lot more fun in the telling than it was in the doing. But uh. well, tell me about it. What was what was the what was fun about the pineapple cannery? Well, they pretty much would take anybody who could breathe and had, <laughs> um, you know, both hands had some manual dexterity. Um, they um, they were twelve hour shifts usually. I was on the graveyard shifts, so I got a a, a night shift differential in pay which meant i was making a dollar 84 an hour nice <laughs> instead of the day shipment got a dollar 65 wow you're making the big bucks i was the only problem was that um the buses ran out there you know you could get get to work and then you could get the early bus home like six o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. but a lot of times they would run out of pineapple and then they close the line down like three o'clock in the morning and then you're just stuck at the cannery for three hours till the buses start running. What do you do? You sit in the break room and wait until the buses start running. Jesus, that doesn't sound like fun. I uh, know. <laughs> and um, they would let, because this, this was during a summer, and they would let, the summer they get a lot of seasonal workers, a lot of college kids, a lot of high school kids. And so they would let the kids bring the record, bring records in. They bring their forty fives in. They play those over the sound system. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if you've ever been in any kind of manufacturing facility. It the noise was horrendous. And then over that, they played. You know, they're playing whatever rock and roll du jour was going on. Whatever the kids would bring in, and then so that got very repetitive because not everybody only there's only a few people bringing records in. 
and 45's got to be changed. Somebody's got to go to the break room and change the 45. <laughs> flip the well, I think brick. they stacked them somehow. You know, oh, they had okay. stacked, but, but nonetheless. So it was quite, quite noisy. And, of course, they didn't give you any safety gear. There was no earmuffs. Um, and uh, they would issue you an apron, but it was a cotton muslin apron, and you would get drenched in pineapple juice by the end of your shift, and they, you would get what they, we would call a pine rash because the juice, Ugh. you're wearing rubber gloves, of course, but the, you know, the juice drips down your arms and it gets all over your clothes. And you, but you could purchase plastic aprons and a lot of people did and eventually I did, but um, they would only issue you the cotton apron. And it's like, this is just ridiculous. But I was a trimmer, so I had got the, the big ninja knife. Mm-hmm. The pineapples would, there would be a big machine way up over your head that would core and peel them and they come down on a conveyor belt and you, a whole pineapple that's cored and you pick it up with your thumb Mm -hmm. and you trim off any little bits that Mm -hmm. might not be good and then you you send it back down the line and then it gets sliced or chopped or whatever and the canners do something, the packers do something else in the cans. Um, And then if it's bad, if you get a bad one or it's overly ripe, they were having 16, 17, 18 year old kids, <laughs> dull pineapple was having them determine, is this too, is this pineapple bad? Then there was a, a garbage chute and a juice chute. And so anything that was overly ripe or not suitable for packing, but was still good, you put down the juice chute, turns into pineapple juice. Everything else goes down the garbage chute. And I, you know, you try your best, you do it, you know, you try to make a judgment call, but I used to go home and think, how many people are putting garbage down the juice chute do people know what's going into their pineapple juice i don't think so <laughs> well i i don't want this to be necessarily be an expose on dole pineapple juice in 1960s but you know um but, i'm wondering <clears throat> anyway. what um i'm just wondering so from that time that you leave um home mm-hmm. until you meet my father you don't necessarily have any sort of alcohol problems. I don't know that you've... Did you find yourself in any relationships with um, with well, people who had issues or... I was in, I was in Hawaii. I was... Um, it was 1969, 70, 71, around in there, early 70s. Mm-hmm. And um, I went over with um, my high school friend, Vicenta, who I know you know. Mm-hmm. And we, we rented an apartment together. And the reason I started working at the Pineapple Cannery was she left for, she left to go back to Vegas for, she was gone for like two months. And I had to, um, she was just gonna go and there was nothing I could do about it. And I had to cover the rent by myself. And so I, got, I took the first job I could take and that was the Pineapple Cannery. Because the rent was $120 a month. <laughs> I know we were splitting it two ways, so. <laughs> but in twelve dollars a shift or thirteen? <laughs> no, you were making almost almost twenty two dollars a shift or something mm-hmm. like that. But they don't pay you if it, if the line shuts down at three o'clock and you're sitting there for three hours waiting for the bus. They don't pay you for those three mm-hmm. hours. But nonetheless, um, she left. I worked the pineapple cannery. But after that, after the pineapple cannery, I got I started waiting tables. Got and so it was a little more lucrative. But it's down in Waikiki, and it's a tourist area, and you know you get off work at whatever midnight or whatever, and you go out and have a drink. We, you know, I would go out and drink and and go dancing and all that kind of stuff. But 
and I remember I, I remember getting drunk but I was never drunk you know like blackout drunk or throw up drunk or anything like that it was just going out you're young you're partying you're drinking um, I never had any um, adverse consequences from it you know we'd occasionally have people over to the house and we'd have um, you know have wine or beer and different drinks and and um, back when weed was very mild you know we mm-hmm. indulge in that I never I have never I've never bought weed okay <laughs> somebody well. else has already bought always brought it but there was you know it was just a typical kind of college age stuff but it wasn't excessive I don't think and it wasn't like every single night we have to we had went out and did it, it was like you know and that's a couple of times a month or that would be the difference is yeah. that it, for me it was like every single night and even though on those nights that we took off it, that was the exception or that was the uh, yeah that was the exception it's like oh man we better just take tonight off and chill out or oh we'll just drink beer tonight because we can't really drink and so i just it's no, interesting never... that you and you you say it you're like i had no adverse effects from alcohol <laughs> <laughs> um except for you know i mean in, and my father i guess would be the the big relationship that so when when we went back we left Hawaii I left Hawaii I went back to Las Vegas and Vicente and I um, who I knew as Bessie then we went we moved back together moved back in as roommates in Vegas um, Vicente's sister mm-hmm. Selena was um, had been married to your dad actually and um, they were divorced, but he was still, you know, being the kind of guy he was, he was still... Um, what kind of guy was he? What kind of guy was he? Um, loud, loud, funny, sometimes. Mm-hmm, funny. He was... Um, he would come over to, 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 to take Selena out, and then he would, because he was, I don't know, I don't know what he was thinking, but he would end up taking Bessie and taking all three of us out. Or Selena really, I think, she was done with him and she really didn't want to have anything, you know, she was like just done with him. So he would sometimes take Bessie and I out and we'd go out. And then after a while, she kind of peeled off somehow and I started going out with him. And I don't know that it was, there. I don't know that I was in love at all. I don't think that was the issue. Um, I think we... We had a good time. He, we would go out and we would, he would drink a lot. I didn't recognize it for what it was at the time that he was alcoholic, but, um, and he was work, you know, he'd work late because he was working in the showroom. This is in Las Vegas. In yeah. Las Vegas. And, um, or he would come over after work. Um, so he just happened to be the guy that was around all the time. That yeah. was, oh, kind was of, just... kind of. And I, I don't say this in a, in a, that I was in a mercenary way, uh-huh. but I thought he was, I thought he was a lot more well off than he was because basically what he was doing, I mean, they made really good tips. Sure. Work in the showroom in the sixties and seventies, you know, that was a big deal. And, um, so he always had money. He always had a pocket full of cash. He always had wads of it. And he'd go out and we'd go drink or go dancing or go eat or go to the record store and buy records. And um, that was one of the big things. There was a 24-hour record store. We'd go to Odyssey. Odyssey? Odyssey yes. Records. We'd go buy yeah. records. Um, so he was just kind of, you know, was having a good time. And then sometimes I would, 
and this is where I should have just, I don't, you know, young and dumb, mm-hmm. <laughs> mix, mix, stir, stir, married young, it's all a blur. Um, so then I would go over sometimes to his apartment that he shared with whatever roommates he had, I can't remember them now. And he had, a, um, because he worked nights, he wanted to keep his room really, really dark so he could sleep. And I never, there was tinfoil on all the windows to keep it really dark. And he kept, he had a motorcycle then, and he kept his motorcycle in the bedroom. I never, I never saw him ride that motorcycle, and I never rode it, but he had a motorcycle, and it was in his bedroom. And, um, but I would go over, and there, some of our date nights, or it's, mm-hmm. it was, I don't think it was like, hey, let's, you know, would you like to go out on Friday night, and I'll pick you up at eight? But some of, it wasn't like that at all. But I would go over, and we just kind of hung out together and sort of, it kind of became, you know, weirdly normalized in some way. We would take, he he had one of those great big giant green garbage cans, and that mm-hmm. was his laundry bin. And we would go s- sit at the laundromat and do his laundry for hours because there was so much of it because he would just save it up. And he would do things like, you know, go out and buy new underwear when he, ran out and didn't have time to do laundry. But he kind of sort of made it like, oh, it's going to be this fun thing. Let's go do my laundry. And of course, me being the stupid, like, oh, I'll do his laundry and then he'll like me. You know, that kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of stupid behavior. Um, So after a while, it just sort of got to be a, a, more of a habit, I want to say, than, than it wasn't like any big, Romantic kind of a thing. You were just you were just used to it. it yeah, just became normal. Uh huh. And he would drink a lot. He would drink a lot. Did you did you feel any ad, in those early days any adverse effects of being around him drinking a lot? Well, we moved into um, I'm trying to think what first what the first apartment we moved into together. If I recall, it was um, it was one of these new new developments, and it was really nice. And we had it came furnished, and we had um, like crushed velvet gold sofa, and I mean it was of its time, and it was a really nice kind of townhouse style apartment, very nice. And um, he, um, was that the one? Uh, uh, this these may not all be in sequence. It's all. A blur, mm-hmm. but one one of the time I think it was in that apartment that um, he got he drank so much that he passed out and I couldn't wake him up, and um, he and he was also taking a lot of drugs then. Like he, what kind of drugs? Um, quaaludes. Um, he had a lot of pain medication because he you know he was asthmatic and had was taking steroids for that, and he had a lot of. Um, I don't know where he was getting all this stuff, but he would, you know, who knows, friends, whatnot. So he would take a lot of pain medication, and I'm sure that was a lot of that recreational as well. But, um, you know, he'd do things like he'd get up to go to the bathroom and not know where he was and be in the corner of the bedroom because that's where he thought he was, the bathroom. But this one time, he passed out, and I couldn't wake him up, and I, and he was, I was afraid that he was going into a coma or, you know, I didn't know because I'm, so he had a friend, um, Johnny Apfel. I don't know if you remember. I feel like I've met this man once or twice. Well, at the time he was an EMT 
And um, I think he worked in the showroom and then he wanted to get out of that. So he went back to school and became an EMT. And I, I don't know if I called him or I called somebody else who called him, some other friend who called mm-hmm. him. Because um, your dad, you know, with his asthma, was having, he was kind of choking. And he wouldn't, I couldn't wake him up and he couldn't get up to, to expectorate. And I had, you know, I had my hand down his throat trying to pull the mucus out because I was afraid he was going to choke to death. Jesus. Um, should have let him go, but nonetheless. <laughs> so I called, I called, and, and whoever it was I called, and they called Johnny, and he came over in his vehicle, in his ambulance, without the lights and the sirens on, and to do a little assessment, and because I guess they could do things like that then. <laughs> you didn't have to report into you know, HQ. But um, so he determined that, no, he was just passed out, and he would eventually pull through which he eventually did but I mean it was just and it did, didn't occur to you to, to leave at this point or or well um, we had some altercation in that place and I know I think we eventually got thrown out of it we got evicted because of his behavior mm-hmm. I don't remember what exactly it was but I, I, I recall that we got evicted from that but um, at one point he um, was very angry and got in some kind of fight with me or something about something. And um, he was threatening to take all my clothes and um, cut them up into pieces and put them in the bathtub and turn the water on so that I couldn't wear any of, I wouldn't have any of my clothes. And the comment he made was, and so you'll leave like you came here. And I had the presence of mind to say, I came with clothes. Very strange thing to say and do, and I mean it's just, but it, awful and terrifying. I know. I'm sure. And um, then um, so I don't know why. It's one of those things. I don't know why I stayed. We broke up so many times. Yeah. And um, I kept coming back because I kept thinking things were going to be better. Somehow I was going to be able to fix it. You know, stupidly. Did, do you see any connection to those things in your childhood with your mom or like wanting to please? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fishing here, but I don't really yeah. know. I don't but, know. I don't know what I was thinking. Okay. I, I, just... I, I was thinking maybe it, it didn't occur to me that if I finally, if I would finally just leave and go away, that there, there might be another person out there for me or... I could live by myself or, you know, I don't know why I kept trying to rehabilitate him mm-hmm. or kept coming back. There was one time in a different apartment where, um, he, um, um, I hate to say these things out loud, but I guess he just had, he had me down on the floor and punched me and he's right-handed and I have a, like, he punched me in the eye. And gave me a black eye and I had just started a job like three days before. I can't remember what it was. And I had to call up and um, they wouldn't let me call in sick because I'd only been three days on the job or two days or whatever it was. And so I lost the job because of that because I couldn't go to work like that. And, um, you know, I made up some story about how I fell and hit my eye on the coffee table or some crap. And so there was just, um, that was one really severe time. Um, he, he, and when I got pregnant with you, I thought, oh, well, this will fix it. 
and that you know he was going to of course come around and he was going to be better and and of course he wasn't do you feel like also maybe not feeling you know maybe even from your mom that idea that i have no agency in my own life and that being attached to a man is the way to create some or have some and yeah because if... i i think i think that's that's a big part of it because i don't think i ever thought um i had you know as a kid you have i had these little ideas oh i was going to be an archaeologist or i was going to be a translator at the un those were my two big things in my head that i thought i was going to do mm-hmm. and then i thought um because my stepdad was in the Navy, the Navy was intriguing to me, and I thought, oh, I'm going to join the Navy and get to go out on the boats. That would be really fun. And I said something, at some, had some conversation, and I said, I think I'd like to join the Navy because I want to go out on the boats. And he said to me, oh, honey, they don't let the girls go out on the boats. And with that kind of smirky undertone to it, mm-hmm. and I didn't really get what he was saying, but it kind of did, you know. And um, so I think... Because all I was doing was waiting tables and I hadn't gone back to school and I didn't see any way to go back to school because I didn't have any money. And school costs money and it never occurred to me in a million years to walk into the financial aid office and ask if there was grants or loans or any of that stuff. I just, and had nobody really to advocate for me because I'd left home. It wasn't like your parent can tell you, you know, there's all these, you know, scholarships out there or whatnot. So I didn't have any of that. And I guess I felt that somehow I was going to get married and my husband was going to be the one that made the living. I don't think it was conscious. I think it was... Something you learned from osmosis, from being around it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I just chose unwisely. I didn't choose a nice attorney or a dentist or somebody. No. Bartenders and waiters and... Mm -hmm. Not all bartenders and waiters, no, but this but, particular one, and, yeah. and, and you know that lifestyle does yeah. lend itself. Again, not everybody in that business is an alcoholic, but it lends itself to yeah. alcoholic behavior. Yeah. So, um, and also that idea of like always having cash in your pocket, but always spending it by the mm-hmm. end of the night and having to remake it the next day. Yeah. You're like, oh, it's fine. Yeah, there's five hundred dollars here. We can go do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just gonna get up and make another five hundred dollars. Yeah. But I'll be broke at the beginning of every single day. Exactly. So and um having your first kid didn't fix it. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, no. Um so um when we moved into that the the when we bought that house that one house on mm-hmm. Centura. Um, he was, I wanted to, your f- dad's friend Don Tonic had bought the house next door and we ended up buying their, buying that house and he was, um, I really wanted to buy this house. I thought that would be a good, you know, a kind of a solid foundation. We need to buy a house. We can't just live in a rental because we were living in a rental when I, when you were born. And, um, so we bought this house and, um, he was upset with me because he had to borrow a whopping $1,700 from his parents for the down payment. (laughs) This sounds ridiculous (laughs) these days. I know. And so, um, he proceeded to, I mean, he wanted the house the way he wanted it and everything had to be the way he wanted it. And, um, 
we got we got in multiple arguments and I think when I finally left that house I um I left when he was at work packed stuff up and went over to my did I I'm trying to remember I can't remember honestly how I got out of there or what the sequence of events was I finally did leave I think I went and stayed with my friend for a while or something I had you of course with me but um um you know he would he would go out and and drink and party with his friends after work and I would think oh he the you know they should wrap up everything by two he should be home by three and then he wouldn't come home and he wouldn't come home and then pretty soon it'd be six o'clock and then he'd come stumbling in and then he'd want something to eat and then you know he would um uh you were still little and I was still nursing you and he one time he took you away from me and said no he's got to learn that he can't have his mother all the time I'm going Jesus, this kid's like, you know, what is it, three months old or whatever. You know, don't be ridiculous. But I couldn't do anything because I was afraid that he would either hurt you or hurt me if I tried to intervene too. And eventually, you know, he would, that result, you're, you're sitting here alive and healthy, so that's good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it resolved itself. I don't remember exactly how. but um, So there was just a lot of, you know, Extreme behavior there, and I don't remember. I don't remember all of the. No, things, I, but, I'm not, I don't imagine. I mean, and you know, I, but, I don't. We don't have to go. Yeah. Try to go day by day, blow good, by blow. Good, because I can't. Um, but there was obviously physical abuse, tons of emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. That's you know, so it was like a hostage situation. Yeah. In a lot of ways, and that's how we describe it in the program. Where I hear a lot of people describe it is that oh, and then I took a hostage. <laughs> and so that's the kind of behavior where you're, you know, people are the person who's been taken hostage is afraid to leave, doesn't know how to. And, you know, that whole walking on eggshells and not sure which way things are going to go. But you had me, you had my brother. Mm -hmm. um, and what, what point after that, I mean, you, you had finally separated for good and for final mm -hmm. in what, like 19, I don't know, 80 one, two, three, something like that. Yeah. I have this vague memory and I don't even know if it's real, <laughs> but I feel like it was in maybe Santa Paula and there was yeah. um, like a two-story like townhome kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, we lived in a townhouse in Santa Paula. And is that the one where I tried to smoke a cigarette? No, that was in Las Vegas. I Anyhow, I tried to smoke a cigarette and you're like, because my dad had a bunch of, yep. he would pull them, he didn't smoke them, but he would pick them up from work and yeah. then bring them home. And I was like, Oh, I want to smoke one. And I don't remember if you both did or you're like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Like, let's see how this plays out. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, again, it was, yeah. I don't know, 1982 or yeah. something, you know? And, and, um, I kept blowing on it, blowing on it. And like, and no, I no, said, you have to breathe. You said that. It suck was, it like a straw. <laughs> and I did. And I remember like just gagging into the sink, but, um, and that was very vivid. I mean, I did later, pick up smoking again mm -hmm. as a young man and I don't smoke anymore thankfully I will never go back um, but the, the memory I have in that other house is being called down with my brother James so I had to be at least like four or five so he would have been two or three and you saying we're getting a divorce I don't remember if this sounds familiar to you like sitting on a couch and I'm standing there and see so you're saying we're going to be splitting up and going our separate ways and trying to explain this to the children. Like, 
And I have maybe, I, I don't know if I have memories of fighting or hearing those things, but maybe there was some, I don't know. Yeah, um, I know. But I remember that moment and going like, oh, okay, like having no real emotion about it because I don't, I don't think I really understood it at yeah. that point. I was just like, okay, can I go back to bed now? Yeah. Because I'm tired and I don't know why you woke me up to tell me you're both leaving. Like we leave every day all the time, so you'll be back and whatever, you know, I don't, but that was, I imagine that was at the final yeah because that's breakup. when he, that's when he moved to las vegas right you stayed in california with, with you guys and so he took the kids under the guise or because i again because i feel like an idiot i did not know where to go to reach out for help for a single mother with two kids for housing for food assistance for any of that kind of stuff and I knew I couldn't get an I couldn't afford to support you financially on what I was making, and I I think I was just making I was just some kind of clerk at the government center or whatnot. And um, your dad told me um, that he had a house there. His friend Buddy was um, had this house, and he was going to have this house, and he was going to get on welfare. And he was going to be able to support you and take care of you guys. Because he couldn't work anymore at this point. Correct. And I, um, he had gotten, when did, I think it was in the, it was in the Santa Paula house where um, he had just sort of abdic abdicated because he was working at Black Angus. That was it. He'd gotten that job at the Black Angus. And they were giving him a lot of managerial duties. Mm -hmm. And although that sounds exciting and sounds like, oh, this is a step up from waiting tables. I think it was more responsibility and... Um, stress than he wanted or could handle and I think he I I mean I know he was sick with his various ailments but I think he just the stress just exacerbated it mm -hmm. he kind of made himself more sick about it and so when he started going on um he got on disability he basically stayed in his room and just abdicated everything I was signing all his checks was forging his name on everything that we needed communal you know permission for various things I was working at that little doofy restaurant down the street, and um, um, so at some point, when all that separation, he so he told me he had this house, and all these things, and I didn't feel strong enough, or I didn't have the balls to say no. You're not taking these kids with you. That's ridiculous, and um, so he did, and come to find out, of course that the house that Buddy had was um, a vacant house that was in foreclosure that you guys were sleeping on the floor for some length of time before he got himself organized to get on welfare and get you out in the, get you a, the apartment in the projects. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I mean, I cried every night for weeks and weeks and weeks about you guys being gone. And then I just, because you were so young, and I just, um, I carry so much guilt around about that. Just to this day, I just, um, it just, it still eats at me. And I think that's one of the reasons I have done so much for James financially and whatnot, because he, um, you somehow managed, I mean, I know you, you, 
you were you've been in some very dark places yourself, but somehow you managed to keep yourself, keep your rent paid, um, keep your you know keep yourself together, and all those things. And James just didn't ever seem to be able to get his life in order. And I bought that house up there in Washington to to hopefully help him get himself organized with his family. And he just, you know, that didn't work out. And I'm sure he's got his own issues. If I had this conversation with him, I'm sure that he would tell me a few things. But um, it's just, it's just, and I really shouldn't maybe have enabled him so much to not be able to take care of his life. But I just felt so tremendously guilty and he was so little and he was so upset. He was just distraught as a kid. And somehow you were a little more stoic and it wasn't that I loved you any less or thought or wanted you to give you any less. It was just um, somehow it just came, he just seemed more hurt by it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then of course he's the one that went off and had kids and went through his little young and dumb phase. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope you know that I forgive you <laughs> entirely, that there's nothing, you know what I mean? Like I don't hold any resentment about it. I'm not upset with you. I don't look at you in any way except positively you know, um, I, you know, I had a little bit of anxiety about coming down here and I don't, I didn't tell you this, but you know, it was like, well, you know, my family and everything's in flux right now with everybody and it's been really stressful, you know, and you would call me up and say, Hey, stuff's going on and what should I do? And I want to be there, but at the same time, you know, there's part of me that felt like, like, nobody's got a hold of anything here and Mm -hmm. I feel like I've kind of got a little bit of a hold and it's like I don't know that I can do anything for anybody and it it brings me it brings me some anxiety right Mm -hmm. I mean and a lot of that and I've talked about this with with Rashida and if you listen to the A is for Alcoholic podcast the last one we did F is for family (laughs) and I talk about this with Jerry because you know part of it is like okay so what am I really feeling? And like that anxiety is all in my head. It's not really like you're not doing anything. James isn't doing anything. This is all just me building this stuff up because of what I see or, you know, old patterns of behavior that I hope I don't want to continue on my part. And I don't feel any resentment toward you for any of this stuff. Like I can't. So, you know, I hope you know that I forgive I, you. I and... know that and I understand it on an intellectual level and I really appreciate you telling me that, but it doesn't change that, that, um, that kind of sick feeling I have for myself that I feel responsible for the various problems that you and James have gone through because I didn't, wasn't, I was not, um, there to give you any kind of a foundation or um, to be able to at least attempt to guide you and take care of you in the way that I feel I should have. Well, I hope that you can forgive yourself on some level. And I, I 
that's all I would want is for you to let go of that feeling as in any way that you can. Well, maybe if I had a drink. Yeah, right? No, it's, <laughs> that's, you know, that's the thing. And I, I even think about the times that I've gone out drinking with you and you're like, have your two sidecars and you're like, I'm a little flushed and tired. Can we go home? And I'm like, I'm just getting started here. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I, I guess I was a little more stoic as a kid and, and that, and, you know, I could go into all the, there was a lot of abuse and trauma and emotional and physical and, um, you know, dad gave me a black eye in high school and I had to lie about it. <laughs> God, I'm so sorry you're part of this club. Uh, you know, and, um, but, and I also used to steal his pain pills. Um, it was, it was great cause I could like, I had geometry class in the morning and 15 minutes before class was over. I'd pop a Soma. I'd go to the water fountain, I'd pop a Soma and then I'd go get to sit in the back of driver's ed with the coach and I would just be high for like 45 minutes in driver's ed. I didn't have to learn anything in there. I'm well, not you, driving. You weren't driving. Were you? I wasn't driving anything. It didn't matter. And I was like, yeah, my left turn, right, tearing up your ass. Like, you know, so, um, but so those years back and forth and I remember like I have a lot of fond memories of all the trips we took in California the camping even the Disneyland where the the heater didn't work and Christmas Disneyland yeah, yeah. ice cold and that was it a Pinto no it was my Dodge Dart was, was it the Dodge Dart yeah. yeah maybe that's why I got two I had two of those cars <laughs> And we had to wrap our feet in like, we didn't even have blankets. We were like no. towels and dishcloths that for some reason you had in the I trunk. Yeah, and... I don't know. It was the coldest night ever in Anaheim. <laughs> ever on so, record or something. Or, you know, driving back and forth from Las Vegas to, I guess it was Ventura. So, you know, yeah. like LA or whatever. But, and Beautiful making awesome that, highway. Make, making that trip over and over and over. And I mean, I have a lot of fond memories of California. Um, and those those times and the, the various houses you lived in and spending those summers and even when you had to work and stuff like that we I think we had some really cool times you know and I think in a lot of ways because there wasn't daily you know family stresses it was like we got to enjoy different kind of times together you know Rather than, oh, well, we we go to work and I got to get you to school. And I, and you know, I mean, I guess there was like, you didn't, maybe you didn't feel like you needed to be or wanted to be a disciplinarian. Mm -hmm. So it was easier to be like, hey, I'll just give you whatever I can. I'll give you everything I can. So, um, but I, I don't hold any resentment toward you. And like I said, the anxiety I have is, is really just my own, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. So. And you know, James has had a lot of issues with substance abuse mm -hmm. as well. And I don't know, I haven't, I've never had this kind of conversation with him, so I don't really know what's going on or even what's going on with him now. I think it's, I think he's mellowed a little bit. I think being away from, you know, being, doing a job that he really enjoys and. That's huge. And being able to make a living, I know he's got a lot of financial problems still because he's just never been able to catch up with 
his various obligations and the you know whatnot. But um, um, I don't know where I was going with that. That's okay. Um, <laughs> but I mean, so I guess, and then so you also dealt with my father near the end of his life as mm-hmm. well, and um, we don't have to go into that in too much detail, but. And I don't know if you saw the place where he lived, where he died. I did. And I don't feel like he he really ever grew up. No. Like, I don't think from whatever, was he 18 when he moved to Las Vegas? I think he was 19. 19? Mm-hmm. And so he died at <clears throat> 63, maybe? 64, something like that? I don't know. Maybe. <clears throat> he was born in... 45, and he died in 2011. 46, I think. 46. Yeah. thought it was 45, but either way, yeah. <clears throat> it would have been, Maybe yeah, he was like 64, um, but and which is super young. And he'd been on disability for how long was that? Since you guys were little boys. Right, but he had not, he had not taken care of himself at oh, all. No. And he drank. I mean, uh, there's he. There was one car that had this big yellow streak on it in the dent because of you know the big uh, concrete oh, poles that are yeah. yellow in parking lots. Yeah. Like he would take us to the mall and give us a roll of quarters each, and he would be up at the bar, and he would just drink and then drive us home. That happened multiple times. So there was there was a lot of that stuff, and I I don't say this to I don't want to add any yeah. guilt <clears throat> other than. <clears throat> you know, we've both survived. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and as as much as my, my brother and I may still have problems and issues, like I'm, and this, this trip has been great, like even as short as it's been. And I'm like, damn, I wish it was longer so that to kind of spend more time reconnecting and to see that my brother is doing so much better and like, oh, he's got this house and he, he this place, which is very small, but... It's got this big backyard, and he gets to do this thing that he loves, and he's actually, like you said, get making a living of it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just and and also I wanted to recently the reason that you're here in California so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess your final, hopefully your final episode, alcoholic <laughs> episode. But I'm just I'm just looking at patterns. You know, when yeah. you say things like I left when your dad was at work. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I think about I. You care to talk recently about sure. what happened? Okay. <clears throat> you sold the house in Washington. You were going to go stay with a friend who lived in uh, another state, mm-hmm. a very hot state, that Texas. She lived in Texas, and um, you were going to go down there and live with her. And you had some trepidation about Texas, and maybe some trepidation about living with her. But it seemed like it might have been a possibly good scenario. Right. It did not end up that way. It did not end up that way. How did it end up? Well, um, she's always been a very, very long-term friend, very many years. Um, And she's always been in this sort of depressed person. Mm -hmm. I didn't really think or realize that she was an alcoholic till, um, I want to say three or four or five years ago, we were both still in Seattle, both still working. Mm-hmm. And um, she, she'd, lost, she'd lost a couple of jobs, or at least one job that I know of that she was 
a couple of jobs she she was let go from, and I never really un, really knew what the circumstances were, and she was never entirely clear. Um, but it seemed like they were extenuating things that maybe she, that were not her fault, so to speak. But um, then she, what was um, she sent? I was still working for Varian, and she sent me a text about some really randomly weird text. Um, she, she'd lost this job and she'd never gone back to work and never really tried to go back to work. And she's younger, much younger than I am. And um, it's not like she's ready for social security anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And so she's sitting in her condo in Seattle and um, not working and using whatever savings she had. She had some inheritance from her dad that was there and she had some other I do, I do still to this day do not know what exactly her financial situation is, but nonetheless she had enough she was living on, and her um, she she sent me this really crazy random text. It's like come, I have to I have, come help me come help me or something like that. And so when I called her and she sounded really nuts on the phone, so I left work to go find out what was going on, and I got over there and. Um, she was just very distraught and clearly drunk and um, there were there were alcohol bottles everywhere. So I kind of, it's like, really? I did not know you were an alcoholic. You hit it very well. I did not know this. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. <clears throat> so she, um, we took her to, um, I took her to some hospital where they had some kind of alcoholic intake thing mm -hmm. and they would find her a bed for a treatment center kind of a thing and um, they saw her and she kind of calmed down a little bit by then and so it took us an hour or two or whatever for them to kind of get through the process and basically they said um, I don't remember exactly how they worded it but basically they said you know if you just quit drinking cold turkey, sometimes that's worse than mm -hmm. if you taper off. And if we, if we, if you're not in a supervised setting where you can have, you know, if you're cold turkey in a supervised setting where you have help there, that's one thing. But if you're just going to go home because we don't have any beds for you right now, if you're just going to go home. Um, you should get a, go get a bottle on your way home, or well, they didn't exactly say that, but she said. So let me understand this. You're telling me that if I. Um, because you don't have any beds for me, I should just go home and start drinking again or something. And they, they kind of, I don't know, mealy-mouthed around it somehow. But basically that was it. It's like, you know. Well, it's true. It's absolutely 100% true that you can die from the withdrawal syndromes of alcohol. So I don't know. You know, they... Quitting alcohol. Yeah, I don't know how much she had had to drink. But anyway, she kind of calmed down. And she decided, okay, well... She's a very willful person. Okay, fine. Well, then I'm not going to drink anymore. And, and I said, I'll, I will stay with her. And I stayed with her for a couple of days. And um, so she stopped drinking, you know, at least for those few days. And we got rid of all the bottles and everything out of the house. And she decided, or so she said, that she was just going to stop drinking. And I honestly thought that she just had, just because she, she's that kind of person. I presume she could just be... This was many years ago in Seattle. Um, it was before she, I want to say, two or three, three or four years maybe. Ago. Okay. 
So <clears throat> then um, she never really got back in. She never went back to work. And, um, you know, we would still so we were across town, but I still socialized. We should come over once in a while or I'd go over to her house and we'd go do something. And then um, her son moved to Texas and because um, he, he his father-in-law got a job there and the, his wife wanted to be near her family. So um, they all moved. And um, kind of her kids sort of decided for her in a way that the, it was best for her to live by one of her parents rather than be in her condo by herself in Seattle with no support system. And so um, Texas was it. And she was able to sell her condo for a boatload of money and then buy a three bedroom house with a pool in Texas and, you know, live off the change until she can become, get on social security. So, you know, living the, living the, living the dream, right? <laughs> and um, so when I got out there, she, it was clear that she was not, um, that she was extraordinarily depressed and she's an angry person as well. And um, I presumed, incorrectly, because I guess I haven't learned my lesson, that she had stopped drinking all this time. And, um, but apparently she hadn't. And then, um, you know, she would go, um, she had rum in the house at one point when I was there and she was making some sort of little, you know, tropical beverage and it wasn't like, but it wasn't like she was slamming them down. It was just every once in a while. And then she tells me later, this was very recently, she tells me that, you know, she gets up sometimes in the middle of the night and can't go to sleep and she'll have a drink to go back to sleep. And then the, what, what tipped the, the balance was, um, and she'd, we'd had some angry incidents in the grocery store or whatnot. She, um, had, she was going back on her antidepressant medication, found a doctor she liked. It was all, you know, things were starting to kind of fall into place for her. And um, she found some cheap insurance. And there was some uh, miscommunication with the doctor's appointment and her antidepressant medication ran out and she didn't have it for a few days. And the doctor said, oh, well, you canceled your appointment. And she hadn't, they had, because they had to reschedule it. And so there was, the pharmacy wouldn't refill it. And she just, she, got, she gets in these moods where it's like, well, screw it, just fuck it. I'm just gonna do, you know, go do something crazy. And she's, she um, said, I'm going to the liquor store, you want anything? And I said, nope. And she came back with a bottle of Maker's Mark and some mixer, and she proceeded to drink the whole entire day and would not fall asleep or pass out or do anything like that. And it was just, and as, as she's, and she was very dramatic, melodramatic, and as, as the day was progressing, I was just going, oh my God, PTSD, deja vu, whatever you want to call it. It's like, this is your dad all over again. All the, and he, he would he would drink and drink and drink and never fall asleep. It's like, can you just fall asleep so I can just at least get out of the house for a little while or go breathe or something? Um, and so I finally, I said, I have to call somebody because she's coming back. She's going to kill herself. She doesn't want to live anymore and da, da, da. And I said, I have to call somebody. I'm going to call 911. And then she screamed at me, no, don't call 911. I can't afford it. And I thought to myself, well, if that's her concern, then she really doesn't want to kill herself because she's worried about the money. I said, I'm going to call your son 
and um, have him come over. And so I did, and he was. He said, "Thank you very much for calling me." He said, "I never see, I never see her when she's at her worst like this." So I'm glad you called me. And I thought to myself, "Well, how many times has this happened before I got here then?" Because she'd been living there for almost uh. a year. And so um, he came over and he talked to her, and um, I talked to him on the side, and I said, "You know, I can't do this. I cannot be her caregiver. I can't help her. I can't give her any help that she. I can't be the one to help her because." She needs much more than I can offer, and I said, "I'm gonna. The only thing I, I just really need to leave. This is clearly not going to work out. I think I'm making it worse because now she has an audience for this." And um, I said, "So I said because he told me he was going to take her to the hospital, and um, I said I'm just going to pack my stuff up because I didn't have very much there. I'm just going to pack my stuff up and um, spend the night in the motel in case she comes back right, you know, right after the hospital, and then I'm just going to leave and." So that's how I got out. I again left while she was gone. So I mean, I wouldn't feel you shouldn't feel guilty about that. You did the. I didn't. You know, I went way above and yeah, beyond. Okay. Uh, no, I don't feel guilty. Okay, but I feel leaving. bad for her because I, I think, as I would feel bad for anybody who was in that kind of a situation right. where she's got, she's got everything she thought she ever wanted: her three-bedroom house with a pool, and it's not enough. Because she's so miserable in herself that she can't enjoy it. And the Texas too, but no offense to any yeah. listeners in Texas, but it's you. You did not find it to be amenable. To well, she's your... she's much more she's much more the heat is much more agreeable to her. Yeah, and um, she doesn't mind it as much. Right, and she's not she's not a real social person, so it's not like she has to. She wants to go out. Getting her out of the house, even to go to the grocery store, was a chore. Right. You know, it was lucky she would go to the library and the grocery store. And so, um, she's if she's content to stay home, and a lot of people are homebodies, and that's fine. She's going to stay home in the air conditioning with her swimming pool. It doesn't really matter where she is. You know, and her mm-hmm. son's across town, and that's fine. Well. But she's just so unhappy with herself. And, of course, she went through her own cycle of abuse and trauma and alcoholism with her parents that that we all did that we all did (laughs) but it's just I can't you know I couldn't fix that and I have um I feel like my I know my mother died when she was 78 and she was she was ill and she had cancer that had recurred and she had you know a lot of bad health habits over the years that I don't have but um I feel like I've got 10 or 15 good years left where I'm ambulatory and composmentos, and I don't want to spend them living with a, you know, in, in whatever that dark place is. I want to be closer to you guys and at least have the opportunity to see my grandkids a little more often and be able to kind of consolidate those trips with, you know, seeing you or, you know, and it would be really nice if you or James were able to take care of me in my old age. I don't see that happening anytime soon. But um, it's nice to have the the moral support, and I know that you know you guys would at least do what you could or try to help out if I needed it. And it, honestly, if I have to throw myself on the mercy of the state, I'd rather it be the state of California than the state of Texas. Because <laughs> Texas is... Sorry, listeners in Texas... 
is abysmal as far as any kind of assistance for um, Medicaid, low income, senior citizens, disadvantaged. You know, I mean, it's very, they're very minimal in the kind of things that they provide or have resources for or right. things that they want to expend those resources on. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, so I picked a, I picked a friend who was uh, in this same mode. You have, yes, it's, it just seems to be around you a lot. It does. And and so, oh, so maybe it's me. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 it is yeah. not you. I'm the common denominator. And, you know, this is, no, that's, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about this is because you are not an alcoholic, but I think that myself as an alcoholic, like it's, I'm very self-centered. So I think it's all about me. And we as alcoholics often forget about the people around us and how dramatically it affects them, you know? And, and I, I, it's, it's important for me to remember that (laughs) because I don't want to do that to people anymore. And I know that I have, we've talked and I've apologized to you before, but I'm sorry if there was any adverse effects of my drinking on you. I mean, outside of a few drunken phone calls, I mean, we were always so far apart during all these years. I don't think I was ever actively involved in your life at any of these, any of your darker times. In my visits, I would come visit you and I would try to be as well behaved and you would come visit me and we would go and, um, you know, I would put on a good show and we'd go and have a few drinks and then... Or we'd go to, you know, drive to the city and, oh, well, I gotta have my two drink, you know, minimum and that or maximum, and then I can drive us home, mm-hmm. which I would never dream of doing now for a lot of reasons. But like two drinks and then drive home, like that's not okay. <laughs> but it was then, and then I would drop you off at the hotel, and then I would go drink a bunch more, and then it was like meet you the next day, and yeah. So, you know. I think part of me, I'm grateful that there was a, that period of time that you were not, or I was not, we were not as close physically, mm-hmm. you know, so that those things didn't have to be visited upon you in any serious or constant way. Mm-hmm. So, again, I, I, I'm sorry if my drinking has ever hurt you, but... No, I, and I think a lot, a lot of that is just... Um the lack of proximity and amen for that (laughs) but but yeah so here you are ready to start over again Mm -hmm. fresh clean away from perhaps you know some some lessons learned and or i don't want to say lessons learned but like you have clarity about what's important you have clarity about what you want Mm -hmm. and more importantly you have clarity about what you don't want yeah. in your life. And, you know, that maybe it's easier to say no to those things that you don't want now. Yes. So. Um, Although I have to say, not being a drinker much, mm-hmm. very, you know, occasional drinker. Um, and you, you stopped drinking. And my friends supposedly stopped drinking, or so I thought. And... I thought to myself, you know, every once in a while, I like to just sit and have a cocktail or a glass of wine with, with dinner once in a while. Sure. And I don't feel like um, I don't feel like I should do that around people who are either trying to quit or who have quit or who 
you know, I don't think I don't think I would ever be able to comfortably go out to dinner with you and you sit there with your club soda and I have a glass of wine. That would make me feel bad. It's like I couldn't do that. Well, it would never make me feel bad. If you wanted to enjoy a glass of wine, if you had the feeling, the inkling, I swear to you, it would not make me feel bad. In the slightest, I would not be tempted. I would not be interested. <laughs> I would not judge you. I wouldn't care. You can hold your liquor. I cannot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, I don't that's hold it difference. so much as stop no, when you, I'm done. Exactly. That's what I'm saying is you <laughs> stop when you're done. Now, I don't know what done is. There is no done. Done is done is done. So, I mean, that's that's the difference between you and I. And I'm like, I remember going over to your apartment and you're like, have that have like same bottle of wine sitting up there. You're like, yeah, I got this bottle of wine because... I like the label. It's pretty terrible. So I just threw it in the fridge and I was like, what are you not, you're not going to drink it? You just cut it with a little Sprite? You know, it's fine. Get it in you. And then you, you know, so you get going. And that's not the way that you, you, you do it. So, um, but I would say that please, if you ever want to have a glass of wine at dinner with me, I won't, I mean, not with me, but you know, mm-hmm. at the same table. But it sort of seems like, well, I, I just don't I just don't feel comfortable doing that. It's like if I was if I was with some eating with somebody who was a very strict vegan, mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel comfortable going out to dinner with them and ordering a steak. That doesn't seem right to me. So all right. I mean, I just I, alcohol is my problem. It's not your problem. So I just don't. I would never be the one to impose my problem on you. I understand that, okay. but I I think I don't know. It just seems. <laughs> It seems like if somebody's trying to quit smoking, you don't smoke a cigarette in front of them. That's or a something. little bit different, but yeah, no, I I hear you're very polite, and you're very amenable, and I got a lot of that from you. And you know, I'll <laughs> just go back and drink by myself. I'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, and and you will be fine. That's the thing. You can sit and have a glass and be like, I'm done. So, um. I think that's all the time we have this evening. Okay. <laughs> Unless there's anything else, but no, I'm sure though something else will pop up. But well, thank you for uh, for talking, sitting here and talking. <laughs> I know we've hashed out some of this before, but I appreciate it. I love you. I love you too. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah.